Fears podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Welcome if you are new here. What you are about to hear is a audio version of a astrology forecast that I shared to my YouTube channel, Sabrina Monarch, so you can also see it on video there. And this podcast is a place where I share both these forecasts as well as interview conversations with people that I find inspiring. This is Sabrina Monarch of monarchastrology.com, bringing you the astrology forecast for March 9 to March 15th, 2022. It's Pisces season. We have Mercury entering Pisces, and we also have a Sun Neptune Kazemi in Pisces. So um, just to start out, if you're watching this on YouTube, please like this video and leave a comment at some point and let me know what resonates with you. Please subscribe to this channel and hit the notification bell so that you get notified when new videos come out. So this week, Mercury is entering Pisces, and this illuminates the right brain, you know, the creative, imaginative side of the brain and the faculties of intuition and vision. This is followed by a Sun Neptune Kazemi in the third decan of Pisces. If you're not familiar with decans, each of the zodiac signs are divided into three. Um, I've been researching this a lot with Austin Coppock's 36 Faces. So the sun Neptune's in the third decan of Pisces, which is associated with the pursuit of ultimate happiness. Pisces, as we may know, relates to fantasy, what is idyllic, Disney energy, fairy tale endings. Hope can lead us astray, fog our clarity and have us reading things as we wish to read them, ignoring pertinent details or red flags. Hope can also be a regenerative well of inspiration that guides us to seek more from life than what there currently is to see, more than what currently meets the eye. And knowing the difference is an ultimate challenge of Piscean discernment. So when I speak of, you know, the title of this episode, the title of this forecast is following the signs to ultimate happiness. When I speak of following the signs to ultimate happiness, what I'm thinking of as an example is how we engage the process of following our highest excitement, living a life that is lit up by inspiration and wonder, trusting this as intelligent information, guiding us to lead more enchanted and meaningful lives. Okay, so we have Mercury in Pisces, which if you know anything about traditional astrology, Mercury is not said to be very strong in Pisces. Um, And as a Mercury in Pisces native, in some sense, I understand where this is coming from, right? Like it having, you know, to put my ideas in logical order or do things in a normal mercurial fashion is maybe something that I've had to try a little bit harder at, right? But Mercury in Pisces is very poetic, very visionary. very good for writers. So I've been blessed in that regard, but I think Mercury and Pisces, you know, the traditional dignity schema is a lot about planets either being well-resourced to do their normal job or kind of being, um, in a hostile environment, 
And when I think about Mercury and Pisces um, and the kind of society and just like the normal conven- normative conventions that we live in, when people have a vision, how often does the environment really foster that vision or how difficult is it? Now, maybe there are there are certain societies that really nurture the imagine the imagination, um, even say the shamanic consciousness of particular individuals. Um, some of you know that I had like a big spiritual awakening in my early 20s that was medicalized against my will. And I faked my way out of that. Right. Because I was not in a I was in a deeply hostile environment in the emergence of these psychic gifts that were showing up for me. And that is a reflection of society in some sense and like what is um, supported and facilitated versus what isn't. And so when people want to cultivate their psychic abilities or their um, visionary capacity, it's something that is a little bit fringe, right? Um, my own experience of cultivating my um, psychic capacity has been a lot of trial and error too, of like following a sign and thinking that it's going to mean something or have a certain result and then being surprised, right? Um, having to kind of learn the walk between realms, right? Like seeing things that speak of possibility and following the, um, the yellow brick road or what have you and feeling into is my intuitive impulse on point? Am I aligned or am I veering more toward fantasy and delusion? Some people don't hold the complexity of this at all and just deem it all uh, delusion and choose to kind of live in this like straight and narrow normal life kind of space and deride all of this other stuff to woo and nonsense and not real and just people's imagination and just for fun um, and don't really actually hold space even within themselves for the possibility that their dreams might mean something more than they do, you know, or they're not even giving their, their dream life space to take on um, prophetic capacity because it's just outside of the bounds of their belief system. So when I think about Mercury and Pisces, We are talking about this capacity for vision and um, seeing the language of the cosmos or seeing the language of God, like so to say, as well as the challenges therein of being in a world or maybe having conditioning that doesn't actually offer the tools or frameworks for that path. Now, um, I hope that you're well-resourced when it comes to this kind of thing. That's one of my inspirations for Magic of the Spheres podcast, all the conversations on it, all the interviews to kind of create more language, more permissioning around magical living um, and bring more up in conversation essentially so that it is more relatable and less and less just on the fringes. So back to this idea of living enchanted and meaningful lives, following our highest excitement at higher levels of integration, following one's excitement isn't just a bliss bunny kind of lifestyle, whimsically floating from one pleasure to another without any sense of responsibility or purpose. That capacity for bliss 
that one might find in that floatier state can fall heavier to the earth and merge with the density of this existence. It actually must for daydreams to become something dense enough to touch and to live as an actual reality. When we think of happiness, what if it were not just peak experience, but a holistic appreciation of our entire life, a moment to moment philosophy or discovery and action of how our spirit soul is bonding with existence. So there is a value within Pisces of unconditional love and This is another thin line for Pisces to straddle for being in unfavorable situations, playing the martyr, um, accepting our lot in life as victims or whatever is not the same as unconditionally loving and accepting our experience. Right. So feeling into what does it mean to find the love in all of your experiences Inevitably, there may be experiences, there probably are experiences in your life that you want to change, right? And there comes in the visionary where you can see there must be more than this experience that I'm having. It could be better, right? Or the other side of Pisces, which is like, why all of this striving and um, wanting something else? Like, what if I just love what's actually here? So it kind of depends on the situation, whether it's going to be more helpful for you to love and accept and fall deeper into what is, or if you want to change it. But either way, even stepping into transformation, it's a lot easier to transform something once we've accepted it. It's hard to transform something that we're actively still resisting. But I just wanted to kind of put that out there when we're thinking about ultimate happiness and highest excitement. It doesn't just mean a um, frivolous life, like highest excitement can include um, attending to the so-called drudgeries of life because you know that they're important and you know that they're part of the bigger picture. And it's about our attitude or our perspective on these features of life that we have chosen to relegate, you know, off into some category of undesirable or not special or not magical. And to bring it back into that fold, that unconditional kind of Piscean love. Pisces can bring us in touch with the ecstasy of just being the ultimate happiness we seek is both both elusive and something that can be touched, remembered over and over again as life shifts over and over again. It's like an eternal koan. Tell me where the trapdoor is, what the key is, how you find the path. Then tell me again tomorrow, next week, next year. I wonder what nimble magicians can keep finding the pulse the pulse of ultimate happiness, that is. So this third decan of Pisces where we have the sun and Neptune merging, it is this, uh, there's a strong kind of like desire in that decan for happiness and the willingness to even fight for it. So even people that constantly bring their life to a higher ideal, or seek that kind of deeper bliss or realization, it's not like that's the path of least resistance, right? Like there is effort, there is a kind of 
energy or vitality that goes into cultivating that level of personal happiness. And I think too, that there's, um, even if it's more self-centered at first about like, I want to be happy. Usually this, if that pulse is like held and believed in and cultivated, it is going to turn into something more communal or more relational. Um, because that kind of happiness doesn't exist in isolation. That can be good medicine, I think, for the martyr side of Pisces, that sense of knowing how to fill one's own cup or live within a state of fullness and how that then is going to overflow um, or be an offering to the world around us. So before I get into the week in more detail, a few announcements. One is that you can sign up for my mailing list to stay in touch with me. The link is in the notes. You can also find me on Instagram at Sabrina Monarch. My astrology reading books are currently open. You can find the link um, to book with me below as well. And then the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive is beginning again in May, early May. So it's actually coming up quick. Um, this is a deep dive online experience um, for learning the language, the fundamentals of evolutionary astrology and the kind of approach that I bring to astrology and teaching astrology is about forming a deep personal relationship with the archetypes, with the planets, so that not only are we approaching it in this kind of like academic way of learning what the archetypes are, but it's about your relationship with them. Evolutionary astrology is about the soul's um, evolution from life to life, a multi-lifetime journey, meaning that you come into this life with a history and that this life is the cutting edge of your soul's evolution, right? So learning from the natal chart, what is this adventure that you're on? What is life asking of you? What is your power? Pluto is a really fundamental archetype to evolutionary astrology, and it can relate both to our deepest kind of adversities and struggles and challenges and the kind of alchemy associated with that. So there is a kind of, um, Phoenix rising or transformative, um, primal kind of quality to Pluto. This lineage of astrology has enchanted me and moved me for years. Um, I keep contemplating my needle chart from this perspective. It had opened up, you know, years ago, this capacity to begin to relate to myself as a soul and to relate to this lifetime as this experience that I'm having as a more timeless being, right? And that really changed my participation with life. The sense that not only do I have time to figure things out, <laughs> but this lifetime is not my only lifetime, but that what I'm, you know, called to resolve in this lifetime is pertinent. It does matter. And I don't necessarily want to just postpone it to my next lifetime. Right. So there was a sense that this kind of gave me a deeper imagination of who I am as a soul and how I can apply myself to the very complex lessons that I'm learning in this life, changing my narrative wherever I've felt victimized or disempowered to like, what is the, what's the gameplay? Why is my life like this? Why was I born into these particular set of circumstances? 
Why was I born into these particular inheritances and gifts versus these challenges and struggles? And to get really creative about how I inhabit this life with that information, with my natal chart as an ongoing guide. I think that studying astrology is so opening because instead of being, say, a, um, you know, a regular reader of forecasts, which, you know, I love you're here. Um, or getting readings, that you begin to also have the skill to read for yourself so that you have this lifelong contemplative tool um, as an ally in your personal growth. The communities that form in this course are also amazing. Um, Friends form, study groups form, and I'm really excited to be offering it again and just sharing something that is a wisdom school that has deeply impacted me. Um, and I will leave the course page in the notes and you can read more information about the course, student testimonials and enroll there. I'm also going to be offering in-person readings at Anthea Tea House in Portland and stay tuned for a booking link for that. And I will get back into our week now. So on March 9th, Mercury enters Pisces at 5.32 p.m. And Mercury will stay in Pisces until March 27th. Mercury in Pisces can relate to non-ordinary ways of gleaning information, like receiving a vision or a message in a dream, or having an image pop up in your mind during a conversation that turns out to be relevant to the other person. Not going to lie, it happens to me all the time, (laughs) Mercury and Pisces life. So for practicing magicians, mystics, and seers, these phenomena are not out of the ordinary, but from normal Western society as a whole, they are not necessarily valid streams of information, just a dream, just a fun thought, or at worst, you know, or a coincidence, or at worst, a delusion. In actuality, Um, Having sensitivity toward the unseen or the invisible does require discernment, and Mercury and Pisces can both struggle with that discernment and feel flooded with unorganized impressions and fantasies, or be quite masterful and adept at spirituality and visionary discernment, able to read the signs or listen to spirit in a well-integrated way. So with this as a transit, right, and not necessarily your natal placement, It's about the experience of, say, the difference between feeling foggy and kind of in a um, a haze mentally versus feeling lucidity, feeling like you're awake in the dream and just being mindful that when we are operating in that kind of fog state, Why are we in the fog? What is the principle? What are the set of ideas that we are allied with that are an illusion and that are creating a kind of disturbance, smoky, smoke and mirrors, fog field in our reality, right? Versus when you tune into something that's more lucid and more true, that sense of awakeness and aliveness, being mindful as well that the other extreme of say like hyper lucidity, hyper real energy that we don't know how to hold. And then we form a delusional idea about it where it's like having a vision and then being like, I am the almighty, right? Like, yes, you know, you can be one with God, but 
sometimes there is a capacity for um, inflation with the sense of having a visionary consciousness. And so it takes skill to be able to have a relationship with magic and with vision, to be able to hold that and be humble with it and to be um, in one's power with it, as opposed to completely shutting it out because it's difficult and unruly and a little bit chaotic and more nighttime consciousness, you know, not like cut and dry science or fact, right? So just forget it or to go so deep with it that everything means something. And you have this whole like board on your wall with like red lines connecting everything and everything means this. And, you know, you're going a little bit overboard, right? Like what is your relationship with symbolism and with magic um, where you have the capacity mentally to be moved by that information and to hold it without shutting it out and without completely being flooded by it. The mutable signs, Gemini, Virgo, Sagittarius, and Pisces are said to be double-bodied. Dualities that Pisces straddles are visible and invisible, truth and delusion, eternal and temporary, spirit and human. Perhaps the process of Mercury and Pisces discernment is to see with increasing accuracy the bridges between these realms. So let's explore spirit and human for a moment. There are inevitably correlations between a person's psychology and a person's spiritual beliefs reflexively. This means that psychological development or healing could impact one's worldview, one's vision of spirit, as well as that spiritual discovery can impact one's psychology. So here's some examples. Feeling punished or forsaken by God due to unfortunate or tragic events is at once a spiritual worldview as well as a psychological state characterized by guilt, shame, regret, not feeling good enough, right? Like that belief, you know, something bad happened. I must have done something to deserve it, right? Like there's both a belief implicit in that as well as some internal psychological hooking around um, being bad. There can be a more sober version of recognizing cause and effect, right? And taking accountability for our part in um, things that we've brought about. But then there can also be the inflated um, in a negative sense, like sense of self-importance of one's badness at a cosmic scale. Another example, relating to God as a parent or relating to God as a lover, let alone relating to God having existence at all, will correspond with different internal states. A person relating to God as a parent could significantly be healing childhood wounds um, as they relate to a divine parent. You know, it could be a form of reparenting that isn't just about one's own resources, but kind of relaxing into a deeper field of resource. And then a person relating to God as a lover could be awakening their capacity for ecstasy and celebration, right? And like getting to experience that 
divine lover, um, sometimes while one is um, without a human lover, you know, or even when it comes to being in relationship, but having a deeper kind of longing that no human relationship can fulfill. You know, even if we want to go down the rabbit hole a little bit more, some, a lot of relationships with God can involve this sense of humility or this sense that, um, you know, we are, we are bowing before we are in service and people can go far with that in the terms of not, you know, being in their own power, kind of having, um, a a false kind of humility, or this can be this really deep, true, regenerative, like I am bowing before something bigger than me. Like I am serving something and that which serves like also resources me. And there's this beautiful, like profound, fulfilling relationship in that. Sometimes people, when they get into spiritual teachings that involve um, being one with God and being creators and, you know, manifesting our life, Um, sometimes people go through grief because they, they lose the sense of God as other. And they feel this sense that they no longer have that companion. It's like, if I'm God, then, you know, who's out there kind of thing. Um, I've seen people go through that and these are all possible ways of relating to God. And I think people can have these different fluctuations and journeys. Right. And you can definitely have um, opinions or perspectives on which ones are valid and which ones aren't, um, which, you know, what psychological dangers or spiritual dangers come with any of them, you know, if we want to look at it that way. Um, but my point, more than pointing to which is the true way to relate to God, is that sense that. Um, there's like a multiplicity of spiritual paths and that they're going to invite a different facet of the person, right? Different facets of spirit relationship, different facets of human psychology. For most people, deeper layers of psychological healing or working through addiction requires a spiritual component, right? Like there can be... um, a nihilism that is immensely, um, you know, the lack of belief can be very psychologically damaging. Um, sometimes people, instead of choosing something, um, religious or spiritual to believe in, they will choose like a principle or a higher value, like compassion or love or kindness that way. They are in relationship to something bigger than them. I, my computer just does this thing sometimes. Okay, we're back. So with psychological healing or working through addiction, whether it is fully a belief or recognition of the numinous of spirit, it could show up as a need to be connected with service and something larger than oneself. And yet at another level, connecting to an archetype can help with relating to its forms. So for example, people who heal their relationship with the masculine, like the archetypal masculine, 
um, to support their capacity to call in meaningful relationships with men or heal their existing relationships with men, male bodied, male identifying. Right. So that greater like archetype being a portal into the particularities, the um, universal and the particulars of Pisces working. We can also see this astrologically in the way that any form of astrological discrimination. So I don't like this particular sign because of this stereotype about that sign is really speaking not to the objective reality of that sign's full glory and full potential and full range, um, but rather a person's limited personal issues with the archetype. Same would go for relating to the feminine or the masculine. If there's distortions within that archetypal relationship, um, those distortions can filter into the particular experiences. Spiritual and psychological discernment with Mercury and Pisces could relate to introspection or exploration around how our beliefs and worldviews influence the concrete experiences that we're calling in and how our concrete experiences have informed our perception of God. Okay, let me break that down again. So introspection around how our beliefs and worldviews are influencing the concrete experience that we have, right? Because beliefs do influence our reality. Um, as well as how our concrete experiences, the way things are in life have influenced our relationship or our perception of the universe, God, the world, right? There's a reflexivity to that. There are usually kinks to work out, right? Like we're here having this human experience, having lessons. We have these karmas, we have these traumas, we have these limiting beliefs. And we project those onto life and life mirrors that and keeps us in the Maya and we're like on the wheel, right? And so part of what we're doing here is working out those kinks. Um, to not work out the kinks is to stay stuck in the Maya and the illusion, such as when our reality keeps reinforcing our limiting beliefs and fantasies and we just accept it as the way things are without realizing our own creative role in the drama. Okay, we do this too when we have a, a relationship with astrology where we think, oh, because it says this in my chart or because this transit is happening, it just means this point blank, right? Instead of having a participatory um, discovery-oriented relationship with the chart and with the transits. To awaken the capacity to be a creator and a player to shift our reality through shifts in perception and inner healing invites an entire range of lessons as well, such as how we engage choice, how we relate to purpose, how we are informed by visions and signs, how we are fluid enough to have changes in perception and perspective, how we relate to personal power, how we relate to desire and so on, right? Like the difference between, okay, life is just happening to me and I'm in a reactive state and I'm dealing with it versus cutting through that Maya and becoming more creatively empowered. Then there's all these other lessons of now that I have choice and creativity, how do I engage? What choices like really serve um, and which ones are, are not? and then growing spiritually in our kind of discernment and refinement. 
So at any level of personal, psychological, and spiritual development, the opportunity for refinement is present. So all of this with Mercury and Pisces, um, maybe to reiterate in summary, is the sense that this is a faculty of consciousness that sees holistically, that sees intuitively, that sees with the right brain. And so at a lower end, there's fogginess, or there's confusion, there's a sense of being um, deluded or coming up with stories of what things mean that keeps us further in some kind of fog versus clarity that is derived from this kind of spiritual introspection of seeing the symbols, of seeing the interconnectivity between things, of seeing the language of God or the language of the cosmos play out in mundane reality and how we awaken within our spiritual discernment to have extraordinary kinds of visions. And so as a transit, I offered the part about, you know, psychology and spirit because some of these bigger ideas that we have about the universe or about what things mean or spirit, you know, there is a personal psychological projection that goes into that. And part of the refinement of our spiritual awareness is the refinement of ourselves as psychological beings. That's one way to help organize our impressions of mystery. I'll leave it at that. On March 13th, the Sun in Pisces will conjoin with Neptune in 2020 in 22 degrees of Pisces at 4:43 a.m. Pacific. The Sun-Neptune Kazemi occurs in the third decan of Pisces, which relates to the pursuit of ultimate happiness and is ruled by Mars and actually Mars in Pisces. We can think of the relationship between the pursuit of happiness and essentially blood, sweat, and tears. Blood, sweat, and tears on the way to happiness. So a few angles to consider here. One is that there's a certain level of grit, courage, willingness to fall and to get back up that characterizes the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of one's greatest dreams. It is the emotional courage to face disappointment and to find ways back to opening the heart after becoming embittered. It's really the courage to have a big dream as well, because to have a big dream is to put ordinary life in a certain perspective that it's very hard to go back, you know, like if you have a big dream, it's hard to accept a small life after that. And so to even open up to the big dream is to open up to the possibility of failing or being greatly humbled along the way. Um, and I think that there can be this deeper drive. That's like, I have to try this because I can't surrender to this small life. Right. And so it doesn't even come across as courage. Sometimes it's just a natural, like there is no other way. Um, but then there are places where it's like, 
maybe we are willing to stay small, um, really are willing to kind of like underplay our deeper potentials in life because it's scary to step out of like the comfortable cocoon that those things are. Another is that along the path of actually realizing dreams or experiences that bring us profound fulfillment, even the failures, difficulties, and misfortunes along the way clarified the dream or emptied our cup enough to sensitize us to the dream. The full arc of struggling to have friends to then having an amazing community or having a traumatic first family, family of origin to creating a healthy family of one's own to getting roughed up by love and then meeting a true life partner, etc. These are all very moving experiences for the soul. And I think, um, don't you sometimes feel that like Kundalini or like chills rushing feeling when you're just like in this amazing spot and you think about all the stuff you went to get there and you just feel that like vitality of like, you believed in that dream deep enough to not give up after all of those successive difficulties. And so perhaps there is the temptation to go, you know, to skip the adversity part and just go straight to the happy ending. Um, but this is where the Mars rulership of this decan that relates to ultimate happiness touches me so deeply. It speaks to a willingness to champion a dream or something idealistic and the very real initiations along that path. I want to say too that I am not in any way trying to glorify the idea that suffering is the toll for happiness, right? Or that lessons must be learned with pain. There is a kind of miracle state of consciousness where lessons can be learned in increasingly subtle and nuanced and refined, aesthetically delightful ways. And it doesn't have to just be through like pain, right? On the other hand, to be open to the deepest, deepest yearnings of the heart and to live with the ferocity of that in oneself, the clashes against that in normal everyday life and the sense of you think something's going to be wonderful, but then you experience the sense of deflation when it's not, or, um, you know, you're dating and you're meeting people that you don't really hit it off with. And it's so deflating. And then you meet someone that you really connect with, right. Or you're like getting a business off the ground and you have these meetings with people that don't see your vision and don't believe in you until like the, what's the, the momentum builds up and you are recognized like the challenges that go along toward fulfillment are real, even if we're coming from a state of consciousness that isn't seeking pain and suffering unnecessarily. It's a principle of contrast, I think, of holding such a bright and big vision in the face of the contrast to it. So at the moment of the Sun-Neptune conjunction, it's possible that we are experiencing a level of healing clarity around the meaning of past struggles, how they inadvertently prepared us for something beautiful that we're currently experiencing. It's also possible that we may feel a level of spiritual renewal, renewal in our trust in life, even if we're going through the difficult part now, but we just know, like, I'm onto something. 
I would also add that if we are living in an inspired way and are open to being humbled by the path we are on and making crucial adjustments, practicing discernment, we can be guided and shown the way. So as I was writing this, I was thinking about, you know, my consistent desire in life is to be united with love in the form of significant relationship of all kind, all kinds, you know, and eventually I find the thing that connects me most to the fulfillment of this is simply to live my life at the deepest level of truth and inspiration, which is an ongoing process of adjustment and alignment, right? Like it's not just the seeking of the thing. It is being in harmony with that frequency in a moment to moment way. It's when I'm fully in the pulse of living that I meet people I resonate with. Not always, but a lot of the time. And it's when I'm in touch with the deepest truth within me that I'm most skillful at navigating relationship and the difficulties or the separations that come up. Similarly, consider anyone who is championing their dream, perhaps someone bringing a project to life or someone realizing their deepest talents, right? Like I was watching the Kanye documentary and the beginning of the documentary is showing like him holding on to this dream, despite the challenge it was taking to get signed. He just kept believing in it. Um, And the people around him you know, many were also believing in him, but just that sense of um, when you hold a vision that is outside of the, the moment of that reality, the reality will contrast the vision and that's Mars. Like that's the, the fight. That's the thing that's being activated. So the inspired way of being is like an engine. And while it also promotes the necessity to find one's way and find the path where the movement of energy will be the most supported. So, you know, you have the engine, you know, you have the drive, you know, you have the vision, but what's the path. There comes the kind of nautical imagery of Pisces of learning how to sail or, you know, where the favorable winds are like how to harmonize with the sea. This is at once an activation of personal will and a surrender to the greater Tao flow of life finding a slipstream where the wind or the wave takes us. So this has been the forecast for, where are we? March 9th to March 15th. Leave a comment. Let me know what you think, what resonated with you. And um, please check out that course page for the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive. Um, I do teach them several times a year, and yet they are a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity in the sense of deepening your craft with astrology and having your own kind of personal click with it so that you can have your own connection to it. Um, I'm going to leave that there and just say, thank you so much for watching. I love you all. And I'll see you again soon. Thank you.